from a connection standpoint, so much comes down to connection with humans, whether it be your employees or people that you might be doing business with or you know potential customers. It really is all about relationships and connection. And I'll tell everyone, first thing you gotta do is follow your people on Instagram. They're like, I'm not following my kid, you know, these young kids on Instagram that work for me. Uh, that feels awkward. I was like, well, then you got to work in that relationship because they're not going to stick around for you if they don't feel like there's some sort of real connection. And it's not for them to follow you. So don't worry about what you're posting. It's for you to take a vested interest in their life. Heroes are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them, from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen to the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. The doctor saving lives at your local hospital. The war veteran down the street who risked his lives for our freedom. The police officers and firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur. The creator. The producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. And I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world, others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks of the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews. I am live on the line today with Chris Tuff. Chris, are you there? I'm here. Awesome. So for those of you who don't know who Chris is, Chris is the author of USA Today bestseller, The Millennial Whisperer. Um, in his book, Chris offers research-based, time-tested strategies for bridging communication gaps between millennials and the rest of the workforce. With millennials on track to make up 75% of the workforce by 20. 30, it's crucial for employers to harness the strengths of this generation, help develop strong leaders for future generations. Um, and you debunk myths about millennials while providing an in-depth look at generational stereotypes that do tend to be true. Um, and I know in the book you share practical real world tested solutions to better understand millennials and effectively recruit, retain, and motivate this passionate generation. So with that introduction, what I want to talk to you about first is what is it that you're known for? Why do people come to you? What is it that you actually help people with? Yeah, and it's funny you bring that up because I, I, I start a lot of my conversations around that being your currency, right? And my currency, it's been a big part of my own story, which is I kind of fell into the digital media and social media space really early, right out of school, 2003. I had one of the first viral videos of me proposing to my wife and, you know, things kind of escalated from there. And what people I was really known for up until about three years ago was my, I was the digital and social guy. And so that's what brought me to my agency 22 squared 11 years ago and helped me become a partner. And, you know, what happened three years ago was I pivoted my currency to be one of kind of the digital and social media side to being more of how can I be an empathetic leader and a true servant leader in everything that I do. And it was around that time that I inherited the most amazing group of 30 millennials and you know, I've always been surrounded by people younger than myself and you know I was at an executive retreat with Tommy Breedlove who I know uh, introduced us I think uh, and he said uh, yeah, I, yeah I he did I didn't and I didn't know Tommy and I introduced myself at this executive retreat that he was running I was like I don't really know what I do anymore but I'm kind of the millennial whisperer and these guys are like oh wow like tell us more 
And I told them some of the tactics I use and they're like, I can't believe you do that stuff. And it was Tommy that said, Hey, you, you better write that book, Chris. And if you don't do it, I will. And I didn't really know Tommy at the time. And, uh, I then, you know, that planted a seed and three weeks later, four of the 14 executives on this retreat, they were like, Chris, I started implementing some of the things you were talking about and it works. And so, you know, really it was, in that moment that I went from becoming known as the, you know, being known and my currency being this thing around digital and social media to then being more of everything that I do now is about how can we build environments where empathy and connection can thrive. And so that's kind of what I've been the journey since publishing about 14 months ago of what I've been kind of uh, doing. And, and what's cool is it's opened up doors with companies like Nike and others where I create the relationship using that need. And then uh, I bring in the agency alongside me for other stuff. So, so far, so good. That's really cool. And so um, when you talk about fostering uh, empathy and stuff, right, that you're, you're talking about building teams that are primarily or at least a large portion of the team is made up of millennials. Correct. I mean, and you know, listen, it doesn't matter. One of my favorite quotes since publishing is millennials aren't the problem. They just expose all the problems. And so if you look at the need base, whether it be millennials, <laughs> Gen Zs, or even Xers and boomers, when it comes down to it, everyone can agree that, yeah, we all kind of want these things. Right. And, you know, whether it be inspirational leadership, autonomy, uh, or transparency, which are kind of the three main things that millennials statistically and Gen Zers are looking for from their leaders. And so what I found is using really these need bases and, and letting that act as a catalyst for the changes that need to happen. I mean, look at what's happening now. The number three thing behind um, from a workplace that millennials were wanting is work flexibility. And now for the first time ever, we're being forced into that with this pandemic. And a lot of people are finding it, um, I think, a little bit easier than probably what they anticipated, but they're being forced into it. And I think that will continue to carry on. And we can talk about more of that later. But Yeah, yeah. I'm actually, uh, it's something, you know, I've, I'm like just barely outside the millennial range um, on the older side. And I've always been a huge proponent of workplace flexibility. Um, and I haven't haven't, uh, even when I worked in the corporate, I, I managed to score a work from home, work my own hours deal with them um, because it was something that it was really just important to me. And if I was like, if you want my skills, you're taking them at a distance. <laughs> totally. And you can't untaste um, that, right? I mean, I think people yeah. right now are finally getting the taste of what that is. And some might say, actually, I'm craving to be around people. Others, I, I think the truth will be somewhere in the middle where you have a kind of corporate environment where everyone gets together and does a rah-rah and, and brainstorms and does the teamwork and stuff. But then everyone kind of leaves out of it. I read a statistic recently though, that 35% of all jobs have the ability to work remotely. And, you know, so we're talking yeah. about predominantly white collar, uh, you know, corporate type gigs. So not everyone has that freedom and I recognize that, but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can put into place to create this environment of empathy. And, and one of the things I emphasize is like rewards and recognition, right? Have those things in place coupled with, you know, uh, constant feedback. Don't wait for someone's quarterly review to give them feedback. And 
the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, and there's a art and a science to how we can deliver these things in a way that we can build people up versus take them down. Absolutely. So do you find that the, that those, uh, that those skills, um, sort of translate cross-culturally to organizations that have, uh, have team members from, you know, us, Canada, UK, Philippines, India, wherever the, wherever they've got talent. Sure. That's a great question. So I've worked with a, a handful of companies, you know, Nike being one of them. And we actually, I led an executive, um, kind of team building, um, day, uh, and we had people coming in from uh, Korea, all over the world. We had representatives of every single continent, well, I'm on, not every continent, but all, you know, everywhere from Asia, South America, et cetera. And it was astounding to me how much of the stuff that I was talking about um, struck a chord with them, regardless of what culture they were from. And I've also done some engagements with some other multinational companies. There are nuances to it. Right. So there are some of the tactics and things or um, that I talk about, like especially this idea of like rewards and recognition and over communication that doesn't translate directly to places like Germany. Right. Like Germany, Germans are wired very differently and takes kind of a different set. But for the most part, these are all areas, regardless of culture, that uh, people can agree upon. We all kind of want and need that what different is where their starting points might lie. Right. So like, I mean, a culture yeah. like German culture or, you know, Indian culture or a handful of others, they're not necessarily as adept at that constant kind of optimistic uh, view and um, you know, that entrepreneurial mindset to a certain extent. So, um, so yeah, there are nuances. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and you just sort of have to adjust them to, to fit the culture. But human psychology is human psychology. Um, and exactly. if, if I'm understanding you correctly, you're, you're talking yeah. about we're finally getting to a place in the workplace where it is looking to actually take care of the people instead of using the people like cogs in a machine. Exactly. And deep down as human beings, we all just want to be loved and accepted. And whether or not you care to admit that within your corporation is one thing, but I mean, it, it is the truth. And so how can we create environments where people can feel that on a daily basis? Well, also, also setting, and you know, I'm, I think it's easy to go and talk about all of the needs, but it's also, it's just as important to talk about, you know, what are the places that these younger generations and even some of these cultures can, the younger people can learn from, right? Discipline and getting stuff done. And, you know, I, I have the saying, turn your let's into a buy when. And saying, let's do this, let's do that. You gotta have accountability with then answering it with buy when. And so what are some of those things coupled with what has happened with kind of the, you know, onslaught of social media and what I call kind of this Pinterestation of a generation where everyone has this idea in their head that the perfect job exists. And prior to all this pandemic stuff, you know, people were competing so hard for talent that, um, you know, a lot of these younger, you know, whether it be Xers or Gen Zers would jump around when they didn't have that 100% fit. And so some of the concepts I bring up, like my 70-30 rule are that 30% of your job's just gonna suck, right? So stop believing what your friends are telling you or what you're seeing in your feed. 30% of life is gonna be tough and 30% of your job is gonna suck. 70% should fuel you up and fire you up. And if that's not the case, I've talked to some corporations where 
on the panel of young people that I have up to bring some of this stuff to life, they're like, yeah, it's actually more 37 the other way. And I'm like, okay, I get that. You're earlier in your career. So it's up to that corporation, your boss to help you fuel yourself because that's not sustainable. So let's find out what are some of the side hustles or passion projects that they can help you pursue. Uh, and I tell everyone, you got to embrace people's side hustles, whether it be with 20% of time or just support or you know guidance. You got to allow people to thrive in that way. So once again, it's, it's, it's a two-sided kind of conversation that I try to elicit with this thing. Absolutely. I love it. So my next question for you has to do with your origin story, right? So we talk all the time in this show, every hero has their origin story. It's where you started to realize that you were different. Maybe you had superpowers and maybe you could use them to help other people. Where did you get started on this whole entrepreneurial journey um, yourself? So I'm the youngest of six kids and an identical twin. And I'll tell people that I was a double mistake, right? My parents didn't <laughs> want a fifth kid. And then I was like that a uh, freak anomaly is the second one. And all the way through, I was this ridiculously, you know, and I was brought up in a British household where, you know, I think our most famous saying was rise above it. Like you don't talk about your feelings, but I was like this anomaly in every aspect of that and struggling for my own identity, both in the face of twinhood, having an identical twin, just like me, but also being the youngest of, you know, what was, you know, four siblings that were overachievers. And I was always striving to be different. So it's why, you know, unlike my brothers and sister who went to Ivy League schools, I stayed in the South, you know. Um, and that's really where my path started to track its own. My identical twin brother stayed in the North and then became an um, educator. And so that then I'm like, all right, I might as well just roll with this. And it actually took me 64 job interviews before I found my niche, which was you know, it's, it would, I'll tell people that it was through that process that I started to identify some of my own passion points and strengths, but it took a while of taking a lot of lateral moves before I could make it happen. And so I fell into this kind of digital and social media world in the early days. And, you know, I got to work directly with Zuckerberg and some of these, you know, now the, they are the beacon of entrepreneurship right there are these bases that i was very lucky enough to do some projects with people will ask me like oh what was it like to hang out with zuckerberg and i'm like okay listen i gotta admit it i only had dinner with him once and he didn't say one word all dinner this is before he had gone through a lot of his development stuff but being exposed to a lot of these startups uh from early on and watching them grow really instilled in me this yearning to do things differently and i think also that coupled with being the youngest of six kids and an identical twin. And it just so happens that I married an identical twin. And oh, so my fine. wife is an identical twin. Uh, I branded our wedding, doublementwedding.com. And there was a big PR play around that. And um, it just, once again, <laughs> ridiculous things tend to happen when you start living and breathing what it is that you do. Uh, you know, passion, purpose, and profession. When all those things overlap, you don't know when you're working and when you're, and my wife hates it because she's like a very personal person, but uh, um, private person, not um, in that sense. So yeah, um, I would say that's really what instilled in me the entrepreneur kind of uh, gene, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So like just starting off with uh, having to set yourself apart from siblings and a twin and whatnot. That's a interesting, interesting way to start life. That's for sure. 
<laughs> sure, absolutely. And, you know, family systems theory, I don't know how much you look into the psychology of things. It, that's a real thing, right? And yeah. uh, um, I think a lot of, you know, whether it be age order or our origins do craft a lot of who we are and um, where we go. Yeah, they say your uh, your siblings are responsible for like eighty percent of how you turn out. I um, mean, your parents are only responsible for like twenty. So That's you know, so with six older siblings, I'm sure, I'm sure you had quite the impact. But yeah, we we look at it a lot because you know we got four kids, and it's funny. Like my wife and I, I'm I'm an oldest child, my wife's the youngest child, and you can see a lot of differences in the way we look at things just because of where we were in the family place growing up. So oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it's funny now that I have uh, identical twin wife it's interesting too how much your partner molds you because we've had we've essentially had foils uh, acting next to us right my twin and her twin and you get to see through time how much whether they recognize it or you recognize it your choice of spouse ends up molding you into who you are yeah absolutely does my wife's made me a better person so that's a uh... That's always good. My wife has made me a much better person. <laughs> uh, shouldn't we all be so lucky, right? <laughs> oh, dude. I think all relationships are getting tested to the umpth degree. It was funny. Yesterday, my wife turned to me as we were kind of like winding down super late after getting the kids to bed. And she goes, are you sick of me yet? After being quarantined at the house for whatever it's been, six weeks. And I was like, no. Not at all. I was like, are you sick of me? She's like, no, no. I'm like, all right, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, that's what my, my wife and I were talking about that. We're having a good time. We're enjoying uh, uh, enjoying our, uh, what do you call it, um, our, our quarantine together. Um, the quarantine of your life. Yeah, the quarantine of our life. That's what we're, uh, that's what we're doing. So yeah. my next question for you has to do with uh, your superpowers, right? So, uh, you know, every hero has their superpowers. This is what you do or build or offer this world that really helps solve problems for other people, right? The things you use to slay the world's villains. And the way I've been framing this for my guests lately has been, right, if you look at all of your skills, right, you might have a whole set of things that you've gotten really good at over the years. I um, mean, if you really analyze them, you probably have one skill that really energizes or, or makes the rest of them possible, Right. And, you know, that's your, your zone of genius or your superpower. What would you think that is for you? So my personal purpose statement, which I came up with almost five, six years ago, is to inspire and connect. And everything I do kind of filters through that. But if you were to then kind of take it down to just one superpower, it is somewhere in that of uh, I, I, I'm addicted to momentum and I love catalyzing things. I love creating, I'm a builder and I love working. I'm the biggest extrovert you'll ever meet. So I would say it's something around that inspiration, like to inspire and catalyze things um, without necessarily asking for anything in return. I just love meeting people, growing with people and doing projects together. And, you know, even in this book journey, the single greatest day in that was the second that I brought in my editor, Nick Pavlidis, as a partner in the whole thing because I was finally not like that single player on it anymore. I'm like, oh, finally I got someone to go and talk to all the time. So, and part of that's probably because I'm an, I've always had someone next to me as an identical twin. So I would say it's to really inspire and catalyze things is I get people fired up and uh, I'm also relentless in that. So it would be somewhere in there. Awesome. And I like it, it. It seems like it's a very connection oriented skill, right? Where, where you can get people to 
connect with each other and step up to the plate and be part of be part of whatever it is that's going on. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of that comes down to authenticity too, right? I mean, I'm the Tommy will say that self actualization happens when you're the same person in front of everyone. And for me, it's like what you see is what you get, and you know that my driving force is really it is that that connection, um, striving mm -hmm. for connection with others. And uh, the book I'm working on now is all about how to be a more effective networker. Um, because I recognize that the pain points in the world have shifted with everything that's happened. And so many people get networking wrong, yeah. but really it's through, it's through interpersonal connection and relationships that everything else follows. And the title of the book I just came up with, it's called save your asks. And you know, so many people will go in for that ask and it's way early in the relationship. You're like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like even on LinkedIn, how many LinkedIn, uh, messages you get saying that people connections just want every to be on one your of podcast, them you get right like people just want a connection out of you or they want to be in your podcast it's like whoa 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 like let's get there right i mean how many people 0.1% of people have actually even know that i wrote a book and i've sold almost 100,000 copies it's like come on dude just do a little research before you and i'll be more than happy to connect and and help out but people just get it wrong so you got to <laughs> save your ask yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I actually I just I closed three contracts this last week um, for awesome. our agency, and every single one of them started with a give instead of an ask. Um, and it's it's an interesting thing that a lot of people I don't think understand how powerful it is. Like what, just as an example, one of the uh, um, contracts we closed, the guy came to me. He was like, "Hey, I've been working on this project for months. We had someone else doing it. It took us all this time, and we it's still not doing what we want." Um, and I was like, I talked to him for a while and I was like, it's like in our zone of genius. And I was like, I can fix that for you this afternoon. Um, and he was like, okay. And he was like, and he gave me all the, I was like, just give me, send me this details or whatever. And I, I asked him for all of it. And then, you know, our team went to work and we fixed it by that afternoon. We put it all together and it was ready to go. And they, they made sales like starting the next day. Cause we, the stuff we fixed. And he was like, what do I owe you for that? And I was like, first one's on the house. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, and he turns around and he was like, dude you're a rock star. And now yeah. we've got a, we've got a retainer contract going on. And he's like, literally everyone in my entire organization and all of our audience needs what you have. He's like that, that turns into huge business really quick. <laughs> I love that. But I love how you reference it as the give, right. And, you know, I, and sometimes it is, it, it, I, in one part of it, I talk about um, a race to the middle, which is so many people struggle with connections with others because they talk, all they talk about is business. Whereas, with a little bit of research, you can figure out where that overlap with passions lie. It might be grilling. It might be kiteboarding. I started watching sports at one point because I, you know, if they didn't have kids or I would run out of stuff. But you, when you start with that and then you start talking about business problems and to your point, you do a little bit of the give and a test drive. And it's like uh, the rest starts falling in place. But so many people do it the wrong yeah. way. And you, you don't have to do any selling at all if you do it that way too. Exactly. Um, and it should never feel like selling. And the other thing people ask me is like, so what happens when you're courting someone and you don't like them? And um, I tell them, it's like, well, it's easy. You don't want them as a customer. So don't let them in, right? If you don't just, want to be friends with them, just person, say no. don't do business with them. Oh man, that's, that's hilarious. But yeah, it's, uh, it's the, you know, that, that whole idea of, of, uh, 
finding out where people are and what they're actually interested in and actually caring about them is such a powerful thing. Like I, I got to have dinner with one of my mentors because of that, right? A guy that I looked up to for a long time. He was speaking in front of, oh, I don't know, a 5,000 person audience. And, you know, he gets down off of the stage and there's like, you know, the line of a thousand people that, you know, want to come and talk to the speaker afterwards. And he's doing the, you know, the very cursory, like shake everyone's hand kind of thing. Um, and I had known a bit about him on the other side. We had a connection that was completely outside of business. It had to do with uh, um, one of his side passion projects. Um, and so I stood in line patiently and walked through and I said, hey, I don't want to take any of your time, but I'm really interested in the side passion project. We've got the same story there. I'd love to talk more. Um, and then I said, I'll talk to you later and walked away before you even got to say anything. Um, and, and it was funny because he was like, he was like watching me as I left. Um, and he sought me out later um, and invited me to dinner. He was like, I want to talk I more about it. that with you. Um, and so he invited me and my, uh, my business partner to dinner and paid for like really nice steak dinner for us. And we got to chit chat about all these things in a room full of 5,000 people that would have loved to have him take them totally. out to dinner <laughs> because there was a connection outside of the business. A hundred percent. And I mean, and it, it doesn't take that much effort to figure it out and it's all around us, whether it be LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. It's, all, it's why I say from a connection standpoint, so much comes down to connection with humans, whether it be your employees or people that you might be doing business with or you know, potential customers. It really is all about relationships and connection. And I'll tell everyone, first thing you gotta do is follow your people on Instagram. They're like, I'm not following my kid, you know, these young kids on Instagram that work for me. Uh, that feels awkward. I was like, well, then you gotta work in that relationship because they're not gonna stick around for you if they don't feel like there's some sort of real connection. And it's not for them to follow you so don't worry about what you're posting. It's for you to take a vested interest in their life. So on Monday, you can start that conversation and say, Meg, that kitten you adopted is the cutest thing I've ever seen. Tell me more about it. And Meg's going to be all fired up. Be like, oh my gosh, yeah, the kitten I adopted is. And you know, it all starts with that stuff. So I love that example that you use with just understanding people's you know, passion projects and and identifying on that and then using that as kind of the, the entree into a real relationship. Yeah, yeah, and we do the same thing with uh, um, our team. I don't have a huge team, we got a pretty small team, but you know, we, uh, we're all, all over the world and we use Slack to get together and chit chat for work, but we have a weekends channel and we all post things like you know, our kids' birthday parties and other things and we keep up on all that kind of stuff, right? And one of my, uh, the guy who's gonna be editing this episode, um, one, of my, uh, one of my first employees, um, he'll probably see this and, and laugh about it, but uh, you know, he was just posting uh, yesterday because they're all into the COVID quarantines um, yep. that his, uh, his, his working buddy for the day is his little two-year-old nephew. Um, and it. you know, posted some pictures and it was super cute. And we started chatting and you know, I showed him pictures of my, uh, my quarantine buddy, who's my little one-year-old who keeps coming in here and like wanting hugs and to bring me all of her chewed up dog food that she found. Um, so, What's his name? Yeah. You know, we got to have, uh, my what? little one is Zinnia. Um, and it's her, it's a little girl. It. Oh, yeah. I love and it. she's, she's in love with the dog food. We can't keep her out of it. Um, so, oh you know, she God. brought me two or three piles of dog food that she had chewed on this morning. Oh, and I was like, awesome. would you stop? Stop with the dog oh, food. That's awesome. Um, that's but, awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a crack up because the dog, he's a big dog, he's a 70 pound poodle. Um, and like if the cat tries to steal his food, he growls at it and like shoes him away. But if the baby comes over to steal his food, he just steps out of the way and be like, You're above me in the in the uh in the pecking order, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> that's great. I love it. So awesome. 
So my uh, my flip side question for you on the superpowers is your fatal flaw, right? So just like uh, Superman has his kryptonite, most superheroes have their fatal flaw, something that's hold, held you back in business, something you've had to work on. Um, and I think more importantly than what it is, is how have you worked on that? So someone who's listening to this and might struggle with something similar can learn a bit from you. What would you say that is for you? Patience. And um, I recognize it. It's funny. I have a full sleeve tattoo, all very significant. And um, I have two bands. Well, you kind of see. This is passion and perseverance. And then this is patience. And patience is bigger because I need more of it. Um, and passion and perseverance, like that comes easy to me. The, the flip side of that is the patience, you know, letting, making it happen, transitioning to letting it happen. I mean, this has been this period now and quarantine has been very challenging for me because I'm addicted to momentum and progress and creating. And it's forced me to take some time. And so have I improved a little? Uh, I think mindfulness and, you know, the tactics that help me with that are no more than three things a day um, to accomplish in a day because I'll try to take on the world. Um, and then I think mindfulness and that constant reminder of trying to be where my feet are, as my friend Mark Hodelik says. Um, and then uh, I've made some improvement, but it is absolutely my fatal flaw. <laughs> So what's interesting about that is there's a lot of, I think, important things to unpack there. Um, and one of the things that, that one of my early mentors said to me a number of times that really, really stuck with me, it took me a lot of years to like actually figure out what it meant, um, was that as human beings, we vastly overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and vastly underestimate what we can accomplish in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and his point, and the thing that I've sort of recognized from that is we are impatient with results, re not realizing that it's a journey, right? And if you put in, like you said, a little bit of progress every day, when that snowballs over the course of 10 years, you, you can become a rock star in pretty much any space you want, right? Yep. Um, but you have to put in the time, you have to put in the work. Um, yep. And the other thing too about choosing, like, you know, you just have a couple of things, no more than three things a day. Um, instead of, you know, constantly trying to what you said, make it happen, right? I remember a time in my, uh, in my career where I was putting in 12 and 18 hour days. Um, and it wasn't until I stopped doing that, that I started seeing massive growth. Um, sure. And got to a point where like, I rarely work more than four hours a day now. Um, and it's just, I pick out a couple of things, I get those things accomplished, and I make sure I get something accomplished every day and push it forward. Um, and it's skyrocketed um, and yep. it's a hard thing to like learn because you you feel like I, if I haven't got there yet I have to work more I haven't earned the right to sleep yet <laughs> right? um, totally. and it's a dangerous thing dangerous place to be oh absolutely and that, you know I think your point with um, you know just the what focus brings to a lot of these things and I, I talk about it in the millennial whisper as what social media has done to a lot of us is is everyone craves those instagramable moments right champagne moments you know it's yeah it's being on top of the podium and and spraying the champagne and you know the same thing is with a parent right uh instead of taking in the time like last night that reading harry potter with my 10 year old and finishing up the first book instead of having those as the big moments you're craving uh them winning some award or whatever it is and so it really is in the journey. And I'm actually really good at that side of it. It's that 
I'm a hundred percent addicted to momentum. And even like with one of my coworkers yesterday, uh, they had just done a huge, they had just gotten um, a big sale done. And I texted them. I was like, man, gosh, I could really use a win right now. And I just talked to him an hour and a half about a win that I didn't recognize. And he was like, what, because it's been an hour and a half, Chris. I was like, Oh my God. So I think recognizing wins. Right. And, and, one thing like they talk about with mindfulness is just talking about mindfulness is being mindful because you are just the process brings you into, Oh, being mindful. Right. And that's a muscle as Tommy will say, these are muscles that we have to be flexing every single day. And some are, are more natural than others, but I don't think I'll ever be described as a truly patient person, but that's also, it's, you know, I think a yin to the yang of our own, um, strengths and weaknesses right absolutely um but it, it helps to recognize where the weakness is and um and and you know short up a little bit so totally totally <laughs> yeah yeah especially if you've been using it as a skew, as an excuse not to see your wins on a regular basis that's hard to do on yourself if you're uh, if you're not recognizing the wins um, well you what happens is them. i think you get conditioned to them right because i mean in the process of even what would excite what would have excited me in the first month after launching my book no longer excited me seven months later right because we there's a tolerance that grows with you know that momentum and adrenaline that i feel and that and also why i'm not as patient is i want more of that excitement and yeah i'm like come on let's go and you know selling my first batch of a thousand books and then you're you know whatever it was you know, 10 months later, we're at 100,000 books and you sell a thousand books. You're like, yeah, you know, is that still a win? So it's tough, right? Uh, I mean, and look at what's happening around us. It's like the, the one time that you have true appreciation for health is the day that you come back from something or, you know, your right knee when I busted my knee mountain biking. And then, you know, as soon as I was able to run again, I was like, ah, oh, this is so amazing. And so there's a, there's a kind of back and forth with that tolerance that builds and that you got to bring it back. And I think what's happening right now is like, think about what would happen if all of a sudden we had a cure or a, you know, a vaccine for this pandemic and just everyone would love restaurants. <laughs> totally. And everyone would go absolutely nuts. And then literally six weeks later, we'd be back to, I think, to a certain extent of where we were. And it's like, so how, what is that? How do you, how do we continually, like I'm still, yeah. I, I am very fortunate. I still have a job, you know, like I'm still, I have my family who I love around me and I've got to focus on that stuff. And, and there are wins in that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm digressing. We have, we have the, uh, the same sort of thing happens with, you know, raising children, right? You're a, uh, your toddler. Every time they uh, stand up and take a step, you're like celebrating them. But by the time they're 10 years old, if they fall over, you're like, why are you falling over? Totally. <laughs> right? Right, because you get conditioned, um, and and it's 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 interesting because I see that in my own parenting, where I'm like, I've stopped recognizing my older children for things that would have been huge successes just a few years ago, um, and trying to realize like where's the balance in that? Because there's some things that you know you you have expectations of as a human being that you should be doing, you know, acting in certain ways, but then there's other stuff where it's like, hey, I you know I I want to make sure that we're still celebrating celebrating you as, as a person, right? And who you are and what you're becoming and the, the, the work that you're putting into, you know, becoming who you are, right? That kind of stuff, raising your kids. Um, and totally. it's, it's the same kind of thing. We do that with ourselves and we just, we get ourselves into places where it's like, you know, stuff that was a win 
a couple of years ago, now we don't even recognize as being good. <laughs> 100%. Absolutely. So my next question for you has to do with your common enemy. And your common enemy is in regards to the, the clients that you bring on and you work with, right? Like a Nike or something like that. Um, and if you had a magic wand and you could remove one thing from your client's life that you know would just dramatically increase the results they're getting with, you know, in this case, their, their teams and their organization, what is that thing that you sort of like, you bang your head against the wall all the time trying to convince them that they need to, you know, make this change or make this shift or whatever? I would say my largest obstacle barrier is the mentality of, well, I had to do it this way. Why don't they? And, you know, you see it with just professions. I, I, I ran into right before we had the lockdown in Atlanta where I live, I ran into a good family friend of ours. Uh, his name's Sharuk, and he's got a big company, uh, uh, Iranian descent, and travels all over the place. And I was like, Sharuk, how you been? What's going on? And he was like, oh, you know, I've been, you know, really, you know, traveling like crazy. He's 70 years old, you know, so right in the boomer set. And um, he, uh, he was like, yeah, I've been to Paris. I've been to whatever. I'm like, awesome. That sounds so cool. Like, uh, tell me about it. He was like, oh, no, it was for work. And as soon as you associate something with work to these older kind of generations, it's, oh, this is a drag that has to be, it can't be fun. And, you know, in that same realm, there's this idea of like, I mean, work flexibility up until this pandemic, the biggest thing that I would go up against at these corporations was, well, I had to do it this way. Why don't they, you know, why don't they have to sit at their desk from eight until five all day, every day. And so I think that is probably the greatest thing that we can, um, we can help people get rid of with okay the world is constantly changing and it's evolving faster than ever before and we see it with technology we see it with all of these things that are happening the good and the bad um and so how can we help people adapt a little bit faster to all right yeah let's try that yeah yeah um and it's uh, it's really interesting because the uh it's it's a bit of it's a bit of jealousy essentially that's coming in um and like you know not to keep bringing you back to parenting, but I realized the same thing with my son. My son, I've been trying to tell him that he needs to learn to type. And he keeps telling me like, dad, I don't have to type. I have, you know, like Siri and voice activation. And I'm like, I'm like, go, you know, and he asked me a question, I'm like, go look that up. Um, and he pulls out the thing and he just talks to the phone. And like, that's not our first response. Our first response is to type because we had to learn to type. And I'm like, you need to learn to type, son. And he's like, no, I don't. <laughs> that is such a good example. I love that. That's uh, and it's funny because like he's actually probably in that generation where he's going to have to learn to type right we're not quite there um but just a few more years it probably won't be that case uh, right and it's going to be uh it, you know it's it's a just an interesting like solid example that anyone who's got kids in the 8 to 12 year old range they're probably dealing with that right now <laughs> yeah uh no 100 percent. and you know it's also this idea that your work and your work slash profession can't also be your passion and i'll say that life needs to be a ruthless pursuit of passions and it's through that process that i'm not saying perfection right that it has to be all perfection but that in the same way that things are easier in terms of technology not having to learn these old school ways of typing and stuff the same is also true in terms of opportunity and there's almost too much opportunity so 
And that's kind of where I'm starting to head with this kind of networking and currency and, you know, with this next book, which is how can we be spit out into this Plinko game of life that's somewhere close to our innate passion and purpose. And the closer we are to that, the more fulfilled as well as I think, quote unquote, successful we will be in wherever we end up falling and evolving from. But where so many people get it wrong, and I see it with my friends, very well-to-do people, um, incredible, you know, some well, well-known people, and they'll turn to me and they're like, I hate my job. And, you know, it's like, well, why are you a lawyer? You know, if this person's a lawyer or a partner at a firm, it's like, well, I did it. I just got into it because my dad was a lawyer. And it's like, well, what, what lights you up? You know, and then we start talking about that and it's on the way other side. And they're so far along this path that it's so it's difficult for them to transition their currencies from being a lawyer to something new. Anyways, I digress. But yeah, that's uh, it's very true, right? And it's one of the things that I found interesting because, like my my myself, um, I knew like really particularly what I wanted to do with my life and family, which is why, like I mentioned earlier, we're traveling in an RV with my my kids, and we have been for two and a half years. Um, and I realized early on that like I hit a certain income level and I was like, I don't really need any more money. I don't want it. Like, I mean, I, I wouldn't say no to it if you gave it to me, but like, I've got all the things I want now. And what I want more than that is the time freedom to go and spend with my kids and everything. And I, I've had a couple of instances over the last couple of years where some of my clients who, you know, some of them are extremely successful in their space, right? Like, you know, I got one of the guys who's really, really successful in the uh, wholesaling real estate space. And he does like $250,000 a month in profits, like in his pocket um, for his organization. Um, And, and I'm like, that's just an insane amount of income. Um, And he was like, you have more freedom than me because of how you chose to build your business. (laughs) Totally. Right. Um, And it's, it's interesting because a lot of people don't think about what I call it, you know, they don't think about the monster they're building. Right. Um, and you know, when it comes to your life and everything, if you think about that ahead of time and really build your life around like, Hey, this is what I want. You have to your point, a plethora of opportunities. You can custom design your life to be exactly what you want nowadays. Right. Where that's something that our parents and grandparents didn't have that opportunity. Well, and I think there's the, and I totally agree with all that, but the other thing is you got to do the work to get there too. Right. And, you know, I think people oftentimes in that journey towards that will give up too early. And it's like, listen, People will look at me and be like, Chris, you have a best-selling book. Like, of course you do. I'm like, do you have any idea the hell I went through to do that? Like, I took a $200,000 unsecured high-interest loan to help me achieve all these things. And I never stop. And, and I still don't stop. And there is this, you know, what people will ask me, like, what are the traits that you're trying to instill in your children, given the changing environments? And it's, it's, it's quick and to the point and it's it's resilience and tenacity and that is a uh, i think two big traits never, never give up right yeah i mean and and uh i think yeah. a lot of times people aren't willing to put in the work right i mean look at yeah. the fire festivals and many uh, people were looking for shortcuts where um you know in the same sense that things don't happen overnight but our expectations because of the way that we get information is that oh it's like super quick and it's not right yeah yeah people look at me and they're like oh you're an overnight success i'm like yeah you just didn't see the 10 years it took to get there Um, exactly exactly (laughs) and it's uh it's really interesting because because we you know i tell people regularly i was like there's no competition for um for for 
real men, right? Or there's no competition for real women. And what I mean by that is someone who's willing to put the work in, you have no, there's no one who will compete with you, right? And I tell people all the time, I was like, you can't compete with me because I'll work you under a table, right? Yeah. Um, right, I will just straight up work you under a table it doesn't matter what it is if it's if it's in my realm of possibility i would destroy you at it because i just know that about myself that i would just i would work until you dropped yep. <laughs> and keep going um and that's that's sort of like uh it's a prerequisite for being able to build the life that you want is the ability to put in the effort it takes to do it um right and not you know i don't know what the uh, the opposite side of that is but it maybe it's just expectations but also laziness other things um well, I think uh, yeah, also in a... that hard work, people take that so literally. And, you know, this is why, well, Gary Vee and I don't exactly align on everything that he says. But, you know, you take that literally to like, you got to work nonstop. And it's not that. It's about energy put in. And part of that energy Versus put output. in is Exactly. And, and part of that is digging out of a hole when you get punched in the face five times. Right? That takes a lot more yeah. to bounce back from than 40 hour, you know, whatever it is, 20 hour days. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like this same kind of thing where, where um, I tell people now regularly that, uh, uh, that creativity thrives with, uh, with limits. Uh, you know, when you look at your day and you're like, you know, when I first started and I was working, you know, 12, 18 hour days, I had no limits on what I was doing. So it's just doing everything and your work quality just sort of like drops over the day. Um, and when you give yourself limits, like, hey, I'm only going to work and I'm only going to accomplish these three or these six things today, then you get a lot better work done. And I noticed when same kind of thing happened when we moved onto the road, um, where you're like, you know, I'm sitting outside of Yosemite Valley. And I'm like, if I finish my work today, I get to go hike, right. And go like jump off of waterfalls with my kids. Um, you have limits on like how long you want to spend working and you get a lot better, higher quality work um, out of yourself, essentially, when you, uh, when you give yourself solid limits towards what you're going totally. to do. Totally. Yep. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> so, my next question for you is the opposite of your common enemy. So if the common enemy is the thing that you fight against, your driving force is the thing that you fight for, right? So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information, what is it that you guys fight for? Or you personally, what do you fight for with your, uh, your organization? Oh, I fight for. Um, I would say that it's... Um, it is, I mean, it's to create a place where everyone feels truly accepted and um, valued um, while also being challenged along the way. And, you know, that's a, that's a tough balance to find. I call it autonomy within structure, right? And, you know, it's funny, my wife asked me five years, it was right after I became a partner at the firm. And uh, she said, how are you still there? Because she knows I'm very entrepreneurial. I'm very ADD. I love creating things. And, you know, I had, but prior to that, bounced around quite a bit in different positions. And uh, I said, uh, I think it's pretty simple. Richard Ward, our CEO, he gives me a long enough leash to be entrepreneurial, but enough structure that I'm always becoming a better leader. And that's kind of autonomy within structure. And I hope that what I'm fighting for and against is both kind of that in a nutshell. So just out of curiosity, do you sort of see that having a major ripple effect in that once you get more and more people operating sort of at their highest and best, that we start seeing a lot of the problems we see in our world get solved because we have more minds coming to it 
operating at their highest and best. Totally. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's sort of where I was like, when you were saying that, I was like, that's what I kept seeing is that you're what you're actually doing. Like, that's a that's a method that's going to lead to a lot of solutions when we start getting more people operating at the highest and best. Exactly. My next question for you has um, is a little more on the practical side, right? We call this the hero's tool belt. Maybe you got a big magical hammer like Thor or a bulletproof vest like uh, your your neighborhood police officer. I'm curious about some of the practical tools you use to really help people, you know, make better organizations for their teams. Um, and I'm not, you know, I'm not sure uh, we have time to go through like your whole book, but maybe one or two things that are really practical that someone could walk away with. They've got you know, millennials in their workforce, that they could, uh, they could make some changes. Yeah, so I mean, uh, I talked a bit about it, rewards and recognition, create a rewards and recognition top down. So what are you putting into place where people, you know, I, I use the big blue rooster as the example, where there's this company Domo out in San Francisco, they uh, give the salesperson of the month, this big blue rooster that sits next to their desk, they don't give any cash bonuses or anything else, they just give away this rooster sits next to your desk. And uh, so I will tell people from the top down, create a reward system that is something special that you can give to your employees and also create a peer-to-peer -peer solution for them to reward one another. Um, you know, I start our uh, meetings with snacks where I, I will just actually give props before we get going. Instead of people talking about their current events or some status sheet, I'll say, hey, I'm just going to kick this off. And I want to say, Meg, you did a killer job to that presentation. Um, you know, way to push yourself out of your comfort zone, blah, blah, blah. And then everyone goes and gives snaps. And then that goes on and everyone starts giving snaps to each other. And so rewards and recognition is, I think, a key component to both this connection as well as how people can be a little bit more inspirational. Um, but a simple tactic, statistically speaking, also in that domain is that if you anyone gets a compliment um, of some sort of um, I've, you know job well done from a client or coworker, just forward that to the boss and the boss's boss and CC them on it and say props to Meg for killing that. Like so, there's simple things that we can do. So rewards and recognition is a big piece, and then the other side of it is uh, also I feel like creating a place where um, uh, transparency can thrive and most people misinterpret transparency to either be financial transparency or transparency as a realm of vulnerability where you got to cry in front of your people and it's like it's not either, either one of those what people want from transparency they want context so talk about all the things that are happening right now is a perfect case give them the facts what's happening with your client base right now you know who's doing poorly and 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 who might be susceptible to what's happening around us with the pandemic and um, you know talk about the decisions and things that you're putting into place because it's all about context that they want from transparency why are you making the decisions that you're making and the more that you communicate those things while also being truthful about it and authentic uh, I think you'll find a huge return that's really interesting. I actually just had an experience with that yesterday. Um, and, you know, because we're, we're in the you know same boat everyone else is. We lost a couple of clients because of the COVID crisis. Um, and, you know, my 
staff some of them, they had sent me some worried messages like how are we going to do what's going on with this and you know i started just sort of talking about like what i was doing in terms of bringing in new clients and where we were going in the direction and gave them a really good you know idea of like what's going on and where we're going from going forward and i got thank you messages back from all of them like you know you know thank you for like letting us know what's going on and you know i feel a lot better more secure and things like that and that's a um i didn't do that with that intentionality um totally it's just it's it's good to know that that's like one of the things you should be doing um and helping keep your team sort of like you know in the, in the loop so to speak on the things that are important to them and their job security and their uh, their their part in the company totally uh, that's cool so well, i got a couple more questions for you this one's pretty quick own personal heroes um you know just like frodo and gandalf or luke Obi Wan or robert kiyosaki had a you know his rich dad who were some of your heroes were they real life mentors um you know uh peers who were a couple years ahead of you and how important were they to what you've accomplished so far so uh tommy probably referenced this in his but i've got a group of uh guys that are kind of in a mastermind with me tommy's in it breed love um my friend hank mcclarty mark Kodalik, Quincy Jones, um, a handful, not the Quincy Jones, a different Quincy Jones. Um, but those guys are my accountability partners as well as um, people that I go to for very practical advice versus my very emotional kind of advice that happens inside my head and heart. So uh, I would put all of them up on that pedestal for ones that hire and aspire to be, um, as well as the ones that um, hold me accountable and um, give back in the same way that I give them. So uh, those, that, those are my heroes. Yeah, I've got the uh, same kind of thing going on. I've got a, a, we call it the Black Level Mastermind. It's a group of, group of people that are, you know, pushing their own businesses forward. And sometimes I feel like I'm the, uh, you know, the, the seventh grader who's learning to swim, who's in with a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, uh, high school water polo specialists in the water. Um, but... <laughs> But it's really cool to be in a in a room full of people totally. who are um, who are pushing you to be a better version of yourself. So that's really cool. Yeah. So last question for you: Your guiding principles. Um, what are top one or two principles or actions that you put in place every single day that you sort of uh, you know you think contribute to your success and influence? Maybe something you wish you'd known when you started out on this journey. Well, I mean, for me, it it does come down to my purpose. And well, I think one understanding what doing the work to figure out what your purpose is, and then letting that act as that guiding light to everything you do. And you know, that for me is to inspire and connect. And then another key thing for me in terms of principles was changing my own metric of success, which used to be whether I admitted it or not, beating my brothers in the game of life, and which is a horrible Have metric of yet? success. And I changed that to impact. I did not win. Um, it drove me to my breakdown, which was actually one of the best things that's happened to me because it forced me to really, you know, reorient myself um, in everything that I do. And so my new metric is amount of impact made on a day. And impact and success should be judged on a daily basis to kind of our earlier discussion versus yeah. on these kind of milestone moments. So um, when my head hits a pillow, did I have a successful day in that? you know, did I have the impact that I intended? And most days I go to bed feeling very successful. So those are the kind of, I think, two main points. I like that. I like the idea of judging your day about whether or not it was uh, successful today. 
So um, I have uh, one yeah. last um, one last thing we do here on the show. It's called the Heroes Challenge. It's actually how you uh, you ended up on the show. Tommy uh, invited you to come via the Heroes Challenge, and it's basically this: you have someone in your life in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story. Who are they? First names are fine, and why should they come share their story on our show with our audience? Well, I, th I felt like a big piece of both what we talked about and then also what the world needs is is resilience and uh, I talked a little bit about my group of the great nine which is you know Tommy was who I think referred me I would stick to that same both of those things and Hank McClarty who's the founder of Gratis Capital is one of the most resilient while also goal-driven people I've ever met he is who I would uh, recommend awesome well we'll reach out later and see if we can get him on the show um, one last thing, where can people find you, right? If they want to pick up a copy of the Millennial Whisperer or if they want to bring you in to speak at their organization, where can they find, find you and have that, um, have that discussion? And then more importantly, who are the right types of people to reach out and pick up that book or to uh, reach out and contact you? For sure. So, I mean, anyone, uh, whether it be small businesses, entrepreneurs to large corporations, uh, I, I wrote the book with examples of it's all the way to Fortune Fit. So uh, every, it's applicable to everyone go to the millennium.com that's everything is there and actually i just launched a quiz so if you go to quiz.themillennialwhisperer.com you can take my quiz and figure out what type of millennial leader you are as well as where, where your strengths and weaknesses lie um, i can be found on instagram at tuff t-u-f-f-2-2 which is probably the fastest response if you get in touch with me and have questions or want to just you know uh connect uh that is the best place for it Awesome. You heard him. So it's uh, at the millennial whisperer.com or at Chris or at top 22 on Instagram. I'm going to reach out to him. Um, so uh, last thing, thank you so much for coming on the show, Chris. Really appreciate it. It's been a fun conversation. Do you have any final uh, words of wisdom for our audience before I hit the uh, stop record button here? You know, I think uh, I sign all my books. The best is yet to come. I think a lot of us are going through some tough times and we must choose light. And so surround yourselves with those that can help you find light. And um, uh, I, I do truly believe that regardless of what we're going through, um, the best is yet to come. Awesome. I agree with you on that. Best is yet to come. It's going to be a fun couple of years of there, what, you know, after we sort of get over this crisis. So thank you again so much for coming on, Chris. Appreciate totally. It.